0: Hi everybody and welcome, another CaliCube Tuesdays, my podcast, Melinda Byerly with the most unusual name in the world. Although it doesn't look unusual, it is unusual and it appears to be unique. And we can start with a song. A quick hello and we're good to go. Welcome to the show, Melinda Byerly.
1: And many more. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Brilliant. I love it when people sing back. Really quickly, before we get into this, and we're going to introduce you in a moment, um, I just wanted to show this, which is CaliCube Tuesdays from 2020. It started off just trying to kind of fill in that COVID gap where I thought I would go off and start interviewing people live again uh, in a few weeks. It didn't happen. And it, it was supposed to be eight episodes. And it's now 35 or 36 episodes. 2020 was amazing. Those are all the people that are there. And I love the design. And we're going to do the same for 2021. And Melinda obviously gets top spot, top left. No problem at all. First episode of 2021. Now, I always start off with the brand server. This is CaliCube's tool. This is my tool that I built with my own little hands. And I'm showing my little hands here. um, Where I actually look at what appears when somebody... Uh, Google's your brand name, your personal name in your case, your Twitter boxes, you've obviously got a great Twitter account, LinkedIn, uh, Crunchbase, your own site, some image boxes. Um, It could be more positive. It could have more things on it. That SERP quality means that you could have more rich elements. You could have the knowledge panel, for example, on the right, which is perhaps something you deserve to have. And the control is is something to do with how much you actually control in terms of uh, sites that you can influence directly yourself. Um, so not bad. could be better. Really sorry to start with a criticism. Um, but then I looked at you in the in the knowledge graph, and you are in the knowledge graph. But your knowledge panel has disappeared. So some, Google Google's kind of like teetering on the edge of putting you as an entity in its knowledge graph and truly understanding who you are and what you do. But it's not quite there. Um, And so I started, this afternoon, I spent my whole afternoon what I'm now gonna call knowledge graph hopping, which is basically finding things in Google's knowledge graph and then hopping between these different pages. And what I love here is that we've got your name uh, within uh, the podcast episode, which is part of the knowledge graph which is part of the entity-based content model that we're doing with WordLift, which is saying, can I push information into Google's understanding and in inverted commas? You know, it, it, it's understanding of the world and the answer is yes, we can quite easily. So we've got that. And if you click on the results that have been excluded, it knows that it's you and that result is your brand SERP. So it's made that connection and you're tantalizingly close to having Google fully understand you and 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 you would become part of its entity algorithm which is for me personally really exciting i mean you you're trying to look excited and i know that it's not exciting but it
1: is exciting i love seo i love it it's and but the shoemakers kids never have any shoes we probably spend all
0: of our energy on our clients and not enough on ourselves Brilliant, absolutely. I mean, I I, I spend far too much time on entities and do they get in the knowledge graph? So kind of whenever anyone comes on the show, even Ran Fishkin, who introduced us by email, uh, you know, it's imperfect because I don't think people spend enough in inverted commas time on it. Mm -hmm. It's going to be very important, but as of now, it's not something you can justify spending an awful lot of time on unless you've got lots of time to waste like I do. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, we all have a bit more time, it seems, these days. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a very good point. And I've noticed, I was talking to Yoast DeValk from um, Joost, uh the, the, the plugin. I'm now working with them on their brand search. Oh, thank on, goodness. On how they appear. And they're actually very, very good at that. But he was saying they've done so much this year and i think a lot of us have, have have actually come through this year of saying actually i've ended up doing all the things that i thought i should have done but hadn't actually done has that been like that for you
1: it's been uh, it's been surprising and it's weird to and almost uncomfortable to say that it's been a good year um given Ooh. the suffering of how many people in the world yeah. It is. I don't want to call it survivor's guilt, but I think if you have any conscience at all, you you realize your good fortune. Um, okay. yeah. I think a lot of companies have moved spends from travel and entertainment to marketing. I mean, when you have when you've had all this budget set aside, you can't spend it anymore. Marketing is probably the most obvious place to do it, and so many of us in the agency world have been busier than ever, and that has. You know, both positive and negative. We're going like crazy. But on top of that, you know, everybody has children at home or they have personal stress. And so it's been it's been a good year. It's been an intense year. Um, a complicated year. But yeah, it's it's uh it's been we've gotten a lot done this year. We rebranded the company. We used to be called Timeshare CMO. We rebranded in Q4. We we signed multiple new clients, we hired people, so it's been it's been and good. you're
0: you're now called Fiddlehead. Mm-hmm which is a brilliant name. I love the name. I'm a double bass player, as we, we're about to see. Uh, so Fiddlehead, Violin, I'm, I'm obviously kind of expanding on things and making it all fit into me, which is what we do as human beings anyway. And we're going to start start talking about marketing. Now, this was me 25 years ago, uh, and this was my start in marketing. I, I joined a band, and you can see me there at the bottom playing a double bass, me at the top. In a, you had in less a hair
1: than you do now.
0: <laughs> Very good point. <laughs> Um, and f- for people listening to the podcast, there is a photo of me with no hair on, <laughs> on the screen and I have no hair today. Um, but what I found really interesting, I was thinking about how can I introduce the idea of traditional marketing, which is what you're going to be talking to us about. And it's actually that I joined this band and my entire marketing strategy was to get a list of bars who had bands in France and ring them up one by one and just keep bullying them and convincing them until they took us on and then build a reputation by being a great band. We we were actually good at what we did. We we got people involved, we played music, we made people have a good party. And so the marketing strategy which I would suggest is timeless is being very good at what you do and really pushing yourself and other people even if they don't necessarily know that they need you. But I think you have to have a great product for that to work because if you don't, you just end up being a bully.
1: Yeah. I mean, no, I often say to potential clients, even that if you don't have a great product, nothing I can do can save you. Brilliant. Uh, we're Wonderful. great marketers. We really know what we're doing, but if your product doesn't meet the market's needs, we can't help you. Now we can help you improve the product. We can, there's lots of ways we can talk about it, but if you're coming because sales aren't great. Chances are it's probably not marketing. Chances are there's a bigger problem at stake. Another saying I like to say is people don't switch CMOs when things are going well.
0: Right. Okay. Wonderful stuff. So, in fact, marketing is, is, also, is partly changing the product to fit the market better because a lot of business owners create the product that they want rather than the pro- product that their audience wants. Is that the fundamental problem of marketing?
1: Well, I think it's not very popular to say in technology circles, but the, the core principles of marketing are the four P's, product, price, placement, and promotion. And way too often, marketing is conflated with promotion. It's shouting. It's it's how much money do we spend on ads? But if you think back to the great brand companies like Procter & Gamble, for example, Nestle, it, marketers are deeply involved with the product. They are figuring out what the market needs. They are figuring out how to price it. They're figuring out what channels to put it in. I have an MBA, so I've been trained in sort of the classic sort of form of business marketing. And it's still appropriate now. The fundamentals haven't changed. We still need to understand the market. We still need to figure out where and how to reach them and to build messaging that resonates with them. And that hasn't changed from the days of radio and sandwich boards.
0: Brilliant, which is like before I was even born, which makes me feel much better so about myself.
1: <laughs> Some people have told me, right?
0: <laughs> but but there was a big kind of chunk in the middle. I mean, I have a career in uh, being a blue dog in a cartoon on a website, and I thought SEO was all I need. And there, there's this big hole for me between 2000 and literally last year, where you, everyone or everyone there was a tendency to think just pleasing Google is enough to make my brand and my business work online. And you've always known that was wrong. And I was a fool. You're not a
1: fool. I mean, thank you. <laughs> you're not a fool. I mean, you're not a fool. I mean, I've sat in Silicon Valley for 20 years, and I've had the ability to see across a bunch of different companies and experiences what you get when you didn't get what you wanted. So... Ooh you have to you know you, you i've watched companies at all sizes try different tactics so i did i not i didn't spring fully formed into this opinion it evolved over watching and trying and growing and there was a time when it was enough that's the point there yeah. was a time when if you owned google you you won because there was nobody else competing with you and so in many ways it was sort of like buying all the air, all of the ad space in a magazine it, you right. just, you could suck all the oxygen away from everybody, but Google is not static. So things have, it's not that you were wrong. It's that things have changed.
0: Do you think, well, sorry, I mean, because from my point of view with the, with the blue dog and the yellow koala, in fact, owning Google in a kind of metaphorical sense is that we were number one because I could count words. I could build links. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was all that mattered. And we, we ended up with 5 million visits a month for a site for kids, which is phenomenal, a billion page views in a year in 2007. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think that would work anymore. I don't think I would get anywhere near that anymore because is that because Google has changed or because Google isn't so dominant anymore? No, it's
1: because Google has changed. I I worked at eBay when we were Google's largest customer. So we were the single largest buyer of ads. And in fact, we were the first sort of people to be trained in SEO. Google came in and trained us. How do you optimize pages on eBay for success in Google? So very much like what you talked about. This is back in 2003. So very much about like what's the word count on the page and how many links do you have and if you are using the meta tag and how you know all of that stuff. But the thing is, if you make it understandable in many ways, then that then it can be gamed. And then you had all of the black hat and all of, you know, people could start gaming it. So Google had to get smarter in order to make the results work. And now, of course, we're, you know, fast forward catapult into the AI world where mm. I don't think even Google understands how the algorithm works no. anymore. You know, gray is sort of how, how the bots work or how the bots are built cartoon is just so brilliant at this um, and explaining very clearly that by the time you are this good at it even the people who make the bots don't even understand how the algorithm works and so all we can do is try to figure out you know what what we can do to influence it and i think it starts with again going back to first principles understanding your customer and what they're looking for and using the tools that we are given and they have been you know kneecapped. I don't know if that <laughs> word translates, but they've been hobbled um, over the years. Google's given us less and less information under the guise of privacy. But the more information we actually have about what people are searching on, the better we can create content that suits them. So right. it's, it's all about you know figuring out what are people looking for and mm-hmm. trying to be there at the moment they're looking for it. You can influence what they look for. I'm, I'm almost finished. You can you can influence what they look for. That's top of funnel. That's brand marketing mm-hmm that's you know measuring searches is a very interesting way to measure pr and top of funnel efforts but in the end if you don't deliver what they're looking for they're going to leave and google's going to penalize you
0: right yeah wonderful stuff and, and i i what i what i find interesting is that google is saying more and more create your content for users and people are saying well they're not actually saying anything but in fact they are they're saying just be a good marketer and there was this whole, and i think we can probably agree from, let's say, 1998, when I started at least, until maybe a couple of years ago, you could just fill that gap with uh, Google SEO and win the game with links and word counting. And that, those days are now over, which is why it's so interesting to say, I mean, I never learned proper marketing and you obviously did. Um, what are these timeless marketing strategies that still work that I've probably missed out on?
1: You didn't miss out on them that's the brilliant part of it i mean i think that you know i I was just tweeting about this the other day that whenever you see someone say that the timeless principles of marketing and and business are are dead you have to question that because there's a reason why they're timeless can you repeat it is it repeatable something may work for one company but not for another And so and what we like to say is that you know um, you know who says this is, says this really well is Reed Hoffman the founder of LinkedIn and he says all startup marketing plans are sweet generous they are in a class of their own they are unique your company is unique how you measure is unique who your customers are is unique so there's no playbook that anybody can run on you to make you number 1 or to make you win there's no shortcut there is only hard work and discipline so it's, in many ways, um, the timeless lesson here is the cl- is classic, who is your customer? Really, deeply, who is your customer? Not, oh, we market to millennials. Right. Right? A millennial can be a mother of two living in Houston. She, um, he can be a young guy working in a tech company. He can be a farm worker in Omaha. I mean, that, those people are all millennials. So
0: Very true, yeah.
1: I like the way Seth Godin talks about it in his book, This is Marketing. I, I tell people this it's really the, the one of the best mar- books I've read in the last 10 years. Oh,
0: well, I was going to say, you've read the book. So you can yes. now tell me what I need to know from the book and I don't have to read you
1: know it. That book is what they care is to figure, really deeply understand what your customer cares about. What are they afraid of? What motivates them? What do they love? What do they hate? Why do they use your product? Why don't they use your product? Why do people who don't use your product don't use it. I'll give you an example. One of our customers, DVD, Netflix. So yes, young, yes, kids. There were DV, Netflix was a company before streaming and they shipped DVDs, people houses, that business still exists. They are still our client. Um, and oh. after research um, they did extensive research into Redbox customers. Redbox is a, it's like a kiosk that goes into stores um, like a grocery store or a, a pharmacy, a pharmacist, a chemist, and you can sure. go in and get the disc and take it home that night. Okay and they're a competitor. They're still around by the way. Really, America is a big physically distanced country, right? So there's need for these types of place things, especially, you know, in more remote areas. So point, point being that when DVD Netflix interviewed Redbox customers, one of the things they learned was that people watch movies two or three at a time. And so, and they also needed, they were shocked to find out that people would be willing to wait for two days. Most people thought if you went to DVD, you'd have to wait a week.
0: Right.
1: The, it turns out that like more than 95% of discs are delivered within two days. So when they change the messaging on the website to say, you will get your disc delivered in as little as two days, conversion rate goes through the roof. So it's really understanding what do they care about? Why? Really, why are they using or not using your service? And then simply, meet, do you see how common sense this is? This doesn't yeah. require an advanced degree. It doesn't require fancy training. It's listening to people.
0: Well, it, it, it's, really it's, ask, it's, it's asking them what they're looking for and having empathy for what it is they're trying to achieve. And I think you, you said earlier on what they're afraid of, which I kind of find a bit Creepy, maybe. Um, I mean, looking at what people are afraid of and then serving that feels to me a bit kind of. I don't know. I mean,
1: I marketing is benign propaganda. It truly is. We have to oh, be no. honest about it. It's a form of propaganda. We're influencing people. We have yes. to. That's our job. We have to get them to buy the product. I'm sorry, but it is. You had to get those club I was, owners.
0: I was going to say exactly that. I, I just, that. I just rang them up and rang them up and kept talking a to form them until so I said. <laughs> We'll have him just to shut him up.
1: Yeah, you're influencing behavior one way or another. So uh, it, it, let's uh, be honest and acknowledge that. And so, if you go back to first principles, Freud says fear and greed. What motivates people is fear and greed. Now, fear doesn't necessarily mean like I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job. That feels a little, um, uh, what's the word? You know, just taking advantage of somebody. Yeah, that feels wrong. Feels well, that, manipulative. Yeah, that, that's
0: what I was feeling wrong about. But fear.
1: Yeah, fear of a DVD. Like I want to watch it this Friday. You're telling me that if I get if I pick it out Monday, it will be here by Friday. Great. Now I'm in. Like it's another word could be an objection. In this, in right. sort of classic sales terminology, what's an objection?
0: Okay, right, brilliant. So we, we've got the four Ps. I mean, I, hang on, you're going to be able to tell them because I count as there's, there's product, product, position. price, placement, and promotion. Right, brilliant. I'm, I'm rubbish at this, by the way. Um, <laughs> I really should ask my clients what they want. Um, so, in, in terms of timelessness, I mean, I, I kind of went through this. I, I was I was dealing with kids' content, and I thought because the content is good enough, people will end up understanding, and I don't actually need to do any marketing. Oh, <laughs> anybody listening? Melinda just had this kind of big, bright-eyed thing. I think I just said something it's either so very stupid or very intelligent. It's,
1: it's so common. The more we know about a subject, the more we assume others know. Yep. So a, another client of ours who I, I can't share the name of, they they have a technical product, and they, they're experts in their field. And the content written for experts in their field goes crazy. But what they want to acquire new customers. And those oh. new customers need to understand. They need to have content written for beginners. You know, right. what is X is a very common thing, or how does X work, or why do I buy X? Very simple queries. And product people and in and, and, and those companies often just don't want to, why would I write that? But that's what, if you look at the queries, that's what people are searching for.
0: Yeah, I was talking about that earlier on. I mean, because my, my obsession is brand SERPs and knowledge panels. I was talking to a colleague who's had problem with his knowledge panel over the last few years uh and he managed to get one and he long long story short i've just looked at everything that he's done and it's messy and it isn't going to stick and i know it's not going to stick and i kind of want to say but this is really obvious and in fact it isn't obvious it's only obvious because i've been looking at it for 7 years
1: right and it's not and if you are an expert in widgets that's what you're an expert in. You're not an expert in how to talk about widgets on the no. internet via search engine optimization. That's that's a different thing. That's a different skill set. So I think there was a time when all of us in marketing, especially digital, were generalists. You were digital, or you were brand. Yeah. And now within digital, you're social, your SEO, your SEM, your influencer, your content. Um, but. Back to your point, the phrase we like to use is SEO informed content marketing, you're still doing content marketing, it's still aligned with your brand strategy, it's still aligned with your customer needs, having personas and use cases and all that's important, but then that that work should be informed by SEO research. In particular, the right. hub and spoke model, which is the, is the way that we work right now, which is the way that we, we believe, it's our understanding that this is how Google's models work in terms of the amount of content and the type of content that are built around a hub with supporting keywords. But though, And the idea is not that you get that keyword and write it 25 right. times. This is really important when we work with companies who are media companies. The last thing that that an editor, the editorial wants to hear is to be told what to write about. And they're terrified of SEO. So when you talk to them, yeah, you can say, it's not that you write about X, it's that when you write about X, know that the terms people are actually searching on are this one and this one and this one. Use those in the writing.
0: Yeah, I was talking on the podcast a a year and a bit ago to Louisa Fram from, I think it was the Los Angeles Times, and she was saying that she was coming in and saying to them, yeah. You're writing about the right topics, but you're 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 trying to be too, in inverted commas, clever, mm-hmm. uh, and you're over-expressing things. And you're not using the terms that our audience is using, which means that we're not getting found. And she was saying that her best weapon was to say, "You won't get read, right, if you don't." Which is a basically appealing to people's egos. It's saying, "If you want to be read, you need to use the terms that your clients are using or your audience is using."
1: And. So, in a newspaper's case, you want to be read by everyone. Yes. But if you're selling a very technical product to engineers, the question is read by whom? A pretty good point. And so again, back to my the client example that I gave you, the people who are already their clients love their content. But if you want new clients, they actually it's a very complicated field and it needs explaining. and you, they need it to be found at the at the sort of consideration phase of buying. So right. thinking about not just, okay, what are the words people are using, but when are they using them? Are we trying to retain? Are we trying to, is it top of funnel? Where, and so the words that we use to look for something are different in the early stages of research in something than they are. So uh, another example we like to use is if you look for red shoes, um, you can rank for that. And, mm. and they may or may not buy from you. But when you start to rank for phrases like size eight Prada women's red pumps, that person has their credit card out and ready to buy right yeah and it's important to understand where you f- where when you're p- writing a piece of content and you're building out your strategy how do those two things fit together cool. who are we ready for
0: I mean and in terms of Google what I've noticed with my clients is you start ranking for the size eight foot pump red whatever it was you uh, said. I can't remember its exactly. high heels um, if you rank for enough of those and you satisfy enough of Google's google's clients and we re- we tend to forget they're google's audience sorry google's users google's clients mm-hmm. and our audience and we're asking google to recommend us yes our solution to their own oh, their they- own users even if they are potentially our audience once you start ranking for these terms google gets more and more confident that you can serve its clients and you will then end up ranking for those short head queries
1: that's the bot. You're training the bot, essentially, from the bottom up. You're training the bot. And by the way, this is true in the App Store. Back okay. in the days people were starting to build apps, the best advice we could give them was build apps that sell iPhones. This is now, it's different now that the iPhone is so dominant. But in those early days, it was when you made an app that Apple thought was incredible and sold iPhones that could only be made on an iPhone. They would give you placement in the store. And I think it's worth thinking about that. How does your the work you do on Facebook keep people on Facebook?
0: I had I had this kind of partially this discussion with Rand and it's empathy for the beast. And and it's kind of creepy to say you have to have empathy for Google on Rand Facebook. Vid. <laughs> no, I said it.
1: Oh, you said it. Yeah, it's empathy for the beast. Yeah, I he, love he it.
0: smiled and nodded kindly. Um, but the <laughs> Emphas- idea of having empathy for Google or Facebook or Apple seems terribly contradictory. But in fact, empathy doesn't mean I appreciate them necessarily. It's that I understand what their needs are.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 practical. We it's you know you you, and again back to sort of another timeless strategy since that's the 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 topic and I'm sure Rand would agree it's build your house on your own land so have your own website. Keep building out your, you know, if you're a smaller company, I mean, if you're a company, it's a little bit different, but if you're a smaller business, have your own website, have your own email list in particular, build your own relationships with your customers, build your house on your own land, don't build presences, you can have presences, but they should be satellites, the core should always be about bringing people back to your website and your mailing list.
0: Right. And and then it's all about brand. I mean, this is my current kind of... well, because I deal with brand search, and I'm basically saying there are so many people searching your brand name. They are clients, they are prospects, they are journalists, they are potential hires. Um, And and those are the people you really need to look after. And John Mueller was saying at SMX at the end of last year, you really should be looking for pool search terms. And pool search terms in his uh, analysis is brand terms.
1: Mm hmm. It's, a, it, it's complicated. Like, there, <laughs> I, I often joke that the MBA is actually where they teach you to say it depends to everything. Right. Like, the, it depends. Is, is the answer. But so I worked, I worked on SEO back at PayPal in 2002, 2003. Yeah, because was eBay in 2002. Pay, to, it was PayPal 2005. Sorry, it's been
0: many years. Oh, sorry, eBay bought PayPal rather than yep. the other way around. I was around, the first
1: yeah? eBay people to go to PayPal after the acquisition.
0: Right. Okay.
1: So I go into PayPal and one of the first problems that was put in front, and I was a pup. I mean, I was just a baby. And one of the first problems was the website paypalsucks.com, which was right. ranking, almost outranking PayPal. And in fact, PayPal was ranking number one for the phrase learn more at the time <laughs> because right. all the hyperlinks on the site were for learn more, So, which nobody's searching on. <laughs> so- right it was an interesting problem. And we had, uh, f- frankly, we had a great agency. Uh, these are problems that are very hard to solve internally. And S- SEO is on the cutting edge of this stuff because it really is algorithmic changes. And it's very unlikely now that people inside of most companies are going to have the knowledge about what Google's up to, to own sure. SEO. So I had a great agency that worked with me at the time, but that was we. Re- so it's not just the brand, but what about the brand? Because mm-hmm. when you think about it to, to your Google size, PayPal sucks is a pretty relevant website. True. 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 True.
0: It's very relevant. Well, yeah. I mean. Well. I mean. It, it, what I would tend to say about a brand SERP is, is it's all about kind of what Google thinks is valuable and relevant to its users concerning that brand. And if PayPal truly does suck, PayPal sucks would be a good result because it does give uh, uh, a, a relevant view of what PayPal is or isn't. The
1: problem is, is now. This is now. I'm just speaking from my own personal experience and belief. So this mm-hmm. is just speculation. I believe that the rise of Google has done something with its algorithm with the rise of social that has weighted content that is shared widely on social media. Right. Um,
0: so well, can, can I ask you to put a date yeah, on
1: that? A date. Yeah. And when I think that happened.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, kind of. It, I felt
1: it, it personally. I, I I said some things on Twitter that that offended greatly a number of right wing websites, and I was personally uh, attacked. My face was on Fox News. I I was swarmed by multiple right wing websites, small sites, not big ones. The big ones got me too. I was on Daily Caller. I mean, you haven't lived till you've been through this. That's a whole other, probably a whole other podcast. The <laughs> point of all of this is that some of that that detritus, some of that stuff is still there when you search for my brand. I was able to have most of it removed by creating new content, by doing the things you normally do, by also saying to Google, what the hell, why are you pushing these small sites up ahead of my interviews in the Washington Post?
0: Hmm. My
1: interviews in the New York Times are ranking below this, this isn't the Daily Caller, this is some crappy right wing, low grade site. That's that's fresher and newer, but because of all of the bot activity on social media it was shared a lot. In particular, I think discus is something that it, Google seems to appear to weight very heavily.
0: Really? Right, okay. And
1: so through multiple sort of, you know, report this search, you know, I just kept logging in and reporting and I kept saying, I kept showing them why are you why are you pushing this site above the Washington Post, above the New York Times? Over time, those right. sites dropped. And I don't know if it was time. I don't know if it was my complaining. I don't know if it was political pressure from the world on, you know, what they're doing with right wing news websites. Mm. And regardless of your political beliefs, it's a, it is a instructive example of the algorithm and what's going on. So I think that I think it was happening sort of naturally as Facebook was rising. They were using social signals um, as a way to drive sort of popularity.
0: Right. There's a really interesting kind of uh, – I mean, Xinlu Nadong, who was at Google and is now at Amazon, started this whole uh, idea of trust-based knowledge, which is what the knowledge graph is based on. And she was using the example of popularity versus trustworthiness.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Perfect. And you would be talking about popularity rather than trustworthiness. And it's a major problem for all of these machines, all of these platforms, whatever they want to do, whatever they're trying to do. The, the pure force of popularity. It's overwhelming. Difficult to, yeah, overwhelming. It's difficult for a machine to resist. And you were saying earlier on, they don't actually know what the machines are doing. They're setting it goals. And the, the machine is trying to achieve those goals. It's trying to match the metrics that it's being asked to match.
1: To YouTube and the videos, if you say optimize for watch time, let's go back to human psychology. We watch things that, are, make a, that charge us up, whether mm-hmm. it's... And, and, I, and I hate to, and we hate to say it, but we are human beings, we are animals, and the things that charge us up are things like greed, and anger, and lust, and things that are high emotion, mm-hmm. are, regardless of what the, the seven deadly sins, right? They are going to drive our watching up, fear, So a lot of those videos right around anti-vaccination and COVID hoaxing and 9-11 hoaxing and all of the conspiracies, QAnon, all that stuff ties into people's psychology. About 25% of the population, as it turns out, has an enlarged amygdala um, in their brain. I don't
0: know what that is. Sorry, It's
1: a part of your brain. um, and. I'm about to exhaust my knowledge of brain science, but the amygdala has to do with fear regulation. And when you have, a, when your amygdala is slightly enlarged, you are more sensitive to messages of fear. Right. And quite interestingly, it's about 25% of the population that voted for Donald Trump. There is a, there is, so this is me, you know, making my own conspiracy theory, but it's, there's something in, we have to understand the brain, back to benign propaganda. Marketing is about people's brains. And the more we understand about our own brains and the brains of the people that we're trying to influence, um, I try to use my powers for good. I tell people I believe Rand is one of those people who uses his yeah. powers for good. Um, some people do not, and understanding that is important. We have to understand that beast. You're, you called it empathy for the beast, but I think it's just understanding. You got to know your adversary, know your keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. If you watch The Godfather. Um, these are, right. This is part of, like, if we're good marketers, it's our responsibility to understand these tools so that we can advise our clients on when to use them, when not to use them, and how to use them successfully.
0: So, so sorry, just, I mean, now we can come back into marketing again. Uh, you were talking about personas and really understanding who it is you're addressing, who your audience truly is, rather than just the min- millennials idea, which I really like because it does give you those three different examples you gave of very different millennials.
1: Right. And there are people in Paris that are millennials too, right? And people in Very Turkmenistan good. and Australia, you know.
0: 100%. Yeah. Sorry. And so you need to understand both your users, but also the platforms you're dealing with. Correct. Isn't that something that isn't timeless and traditional, i.e. something that didn't exist 25 years ago?
1: That is true. And this is where I I love to work with, with the people that are really young and really fresh at coming into this because they understand um, Snapchat, right? And they understand TikTok in a way that I I, I won't yet. Like I'm a Twitter person. I And mm. I do think that social media has a lot to do with how your brain works. I oh, just right. don't like Instagram. I'm not as visually stimulated as I am by Twitter, by
0: okay. the fast
1: moving talking, the wittiness, the you know sort of repartee on Twitter I live for. I don't get that from Instagram. Um, right. And so what are the types of people that if, if you are a... If you're a consumer brand, you're, you know, if you're Peloton, you have to be on Twitter on, on Instagram. That's what yeah. it's all about. But they're not on Twitter. And I want to say to them why, because there's a lot of us on Twitter who are on Peloton and it's really hard to find any interaction with the instructors. I don't get anywhere near the interaction from them that I crave, that they that they give people that are on Instagram. There's a whole audience that they're missing,
0: that they're oh, not no. even talking to
1: because their presence on Twitter is, is it's... um formulaic it's it's the basics
0: but you think they're making a mistake that they're missing a a trick by not being there or do you think some a
1: unicorn i mean (laughs) they're
0: they're can can a brand just say i can completely put instagram to one side and forget about it because that's not where my target audience is
1: especially the younger you are and the faster you're growing you have to in fact the best advice we give to um, high growth high velocity companies is do fewer bigger things so in that sense, there, there's nothing wrong with doing Instagram only. Where does the question is, if you want to grow, where will you grow from? What's next?
0: Really? Right. Okay. The
1: street is never satisfied. So where is the next level of growth coming from? So it, again, it depends. Yes, I think a brand can and should set it aside. For example, does Peloton need to be on LinkedIn? Maybe, maybe not so much right now. They're there. They're doing it for recruiting. You know, this is mostly an HR presence. Um, But probably not for them. And Facebook is probably not for some some brands and it is right for others. It just depends on, again, back to when when companies approach us, potential clients, the first thing Hmm. we want to know is how well do you know your customer? How well do you know yourself? Because if you don't know what your message is and who your customers are, we cannot be successful for you. We can guide you through a process of getting to there. But if you're not already there, nothing we will do will satisfy you because you won't know whether it's good or not.
0: But th- Sorry, that for me then begs the question, and we can, we can we've started to wrap it up here, is A, social media is phenomenally more important than it ever has been before. And secondly, it's a really great way to get to know your audience. Like you reach out and you yes, see what does work yeah, and what doesn't means. work, yep. and which platforms are going to work and which aren't. And that's a great way then to start thinking, okay, this is where I need to go with my Marketing strategy in general and the packaging I do I, I like to say we package our content for Google rather than we sure. create it for Google
1: That's a great idea, like how do you wrap it? You have it well, and again, even in business to business, it's you have a piece the whole the whole idea of a pyramid based content strategy where you have a core asset like a white paper, but mm. then you break it apart and you repackage it. Maybe you have pictures from it on Instagram and you have quotes from it on Twitter with a thing. And then maybe you do some interviews about it for a podcast and then and so on blog posts and so on. So same idea. You, you have a core base of content and then you package it for the channels. I think of social media as a distribution channel, not as a content channel. It's, a, it's like a broadcast network.
0: Brilliant. Okay. A- absolutely wonderful. I think we can end it there. I think that was absolutely delightful and wonderful. And I'm I'm going to listen to this again and, and take all these ideas and apply them to my own business. Thank you very much, Melinda. I'm just going to quickly say that next week we've got Eric Schwarzman, How to Get Featured on Top Websites, which I'm quite keen to listen to as well. Um, back to Melinda, that was absolutely brilliant. And you get the outro song, A quick goodbye to end the show. Thank you, Melinda.
1: That was beautiful. And I can't wait to watch this and ask my team about Knowledge Graph and how I can actually (laughs) cross the chasm in Google's. I'm
0: telling you, you're this far away. I can see it. I can feel it in my old bones.
1: (laughs) My old bones sympathize. (laughs)